and welcome to another episode of North of the Shire. And I'm Don, and I'm here as usual with Drew. And how are you today, Drew? I'm doing well. A little tired, but okay. How about yourself, Don? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Was off today, actually uh, off for the rest of the week. Two days of work this week is all I could muster. So I have time to do hobby stuff and chores and all that fun stuff oh let's you stop at the hobby stuff you, you avoid <laughs> the chores part leave that for another day <laughs> well i would but you know my better half uh, make sure she gives me the to-do list for <laughs> work which is fair you know she's working five days a week i'm working like three days a week so yeah whatever i can uh, vacuum <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's devastating having to vacuum while listening to something in the background. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. So how's the hobby stuff been going? Did you manage to get anything in this week? I did. We we had a timely D&D session, uh, which prompted some painting while we were playing. And yep. I was able to get the test scheme for my Ranger of Athelion done. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, playing D&D online has been another really good thing for my my hobby time mm -hmm. because you can easily play that game online um, because there's multiple people involved and do a little bit of painting while you're listening and waiting kind of for your turn to act to come up. So yeah, that's been really good uh, during the, the COVID uh, experience. Yeah. And I play a character that's so dumb, simple that I'm just like this turn stab something. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> So when we get into the whole like RP section, I'm like, guys, get back to the attacking. I'm losing productivity on painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I also, um, well, I invited you too, but you, you weren't able to come. But I was able to finally get together with uh, Chris and Garrett uh, at my place. So, you know, I said, you know, we're going to lose the weather like pretty soon. It's getting pretty cold out. So... Um, if you guys are able to come over, that'd be awesome. So uh, they both came over on Saturday and we hung out uh, on my patio in our backyard because, of course, there's lots of room to social distance. And, um, you know, Garrett ended up showing up two hours early, I think. Um, so, you know, that's cool. So he and I sat out there for a couple hours uh, before Chris got there. And then I think we sat out there chatting with Chris. As well for another three hours so by the time we were done it was like oh my god i was freezing because of course the sun quickly went around to the front of the house and we were in the shade and you know it was pretty cool out so but it was great to sit and talk uh in person uh we haven't done that like you know i've seen you a couple times and well actually i think i've only actually seen you once twice or twice once so. or twice yeah um but i've seen garrett a couple of times but just for you know like half an hour or whatever an hour yeah. maybe um so having those guys come over and we were able to spend like pretty well all afternoon chatting about hobbying and of course COVID and, you know, um, you know, what we've been doing and mm -hmm. it was great. It was great. So like, I, I wish we could do more of that kind of thing, but it's so yeah. hard to get together. But It is. Uh, I couldn't make it, unfortunately, because I have to self-isolate prior to my surgery. That's tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, I, I wanted to come. Um, but yeah, that one sort of trumped the whole sitch. <laughs> yeah so um yes so you're gonna be we're gonna next episode will be i believe chris and i are gonna do the next episode to yes. uh give your uh, nose a chance to heal yeah it, it, it appreciates <laughs> that and it says thank you 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that uh, I've been doing lately, actually, still on a Tokian vein, vein, is I've been listening to a old podcast that I sort of stumbled upon on Spotify, but it's also on iTunes, called The Tokian Professor, where this is a professor from Washington College in the United States, um, has dissects all of the works of Tokian with from like an academic lens. So it's very interesting as as this individual will go through each chapter of The Hobbit, I think I'm on chapter four or five of The Hobbit, and he will dissect it within the grand scheme of the themes of the book, what he thought Tolkien was sort of trying to get at, using essays from to what Tolkien wrote um, throughout his life. So it's very interesting sort of getting that, like, that comprehensive understanding of how Tolkien wrote his, um, his books. So any idea how many episodes there are for that? Or? About 400. Really? Yeah, four hundred. Oh, oh my god! If you if you are a Tolkien fan who loves the books and loves to like dive deep into it and get that deeper understanding, listen to the Tolkien Professor. You're not going to go wrong. That's pretty cool. I'll have to give that a listen. Well, not that there's any shortage of stuff to listen to nowadays. Oh my god! It's like I can't. You know, it was easy to like basically listen to everything that was out there for MESBG before and now it's well, with even, the even me like even me yeah <laughs> like I've got a lot of free time right now and like I can't even come close like I listen to a lot of stuff yeah um like uh, I listen to a lot and watch a lot on YouTube but like mm -hmm. I think I'm only like not even consuming half of the stuff that's out there now yeah I just don't have time which is great because it shows that you know that the um, it is yeah the, 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 I guess the the scene is becoming more developed well um, plus there's stuff for everybody right because everybody's yeah. content is different it's got a different angle it's got a different flavor um, different delivery so you can kind of pick the stuff now that is uh, more your cup of tea so yeah exactly yeah so, awesome yeah. Um, so just want to mention a couple things um just because somebody had asked me and that was at the end of the last episode i quoted some lyrics and and a little bit of a, a mashup at the end of the first episode too and someone mm -hmm. asked what they were so uh the last one was lyrics from the song uh the battle of evermore by led zeppelin and the one from episode one was kind of a mashup of the song also by led zeppelin called ramble on mm -hmm. um because in their first album or their first two albums um, they had a lot of influence from Tolkien so, and mm. Lord of the Rings, which they worked into their music. And it's actually something that, you know, I, I often, like, get into the deep dive on YouTube. And I don't know, like, probably once every couple of weeks, I end up, like, listening to their stuff, mm -hmm. like, extensively just because it's like I grew up on it. So, Well, Led, um, Led Zeppelin's a, an older band, isn't it? Oh, like well, they're more no, like classic, they're, classic rock. <laughs> yeah, they're they're I guess classic rock. Yeah, um, 1969 to nineteen eighty. So, so before like, I was born, got it. Well, yeah, maybe before you were born, but it's it's right in my wheelhouse, right? So, I'm um, just poking fun. Those were me growing up years. You know, growing up years. Okay, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're like under, I don't know what, like under age 30 and never heard of that band before, go and listen to those two songs. Good stuff, good stuff. Have some fun. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, I also, today I actually found something on, uh, something, some new content, talking about content, was on uh, YouTube on uh, Battle Games in Middle Earth, so it's Harry Parkhill that also does Entmoot. 
Um, so a couple of months ago, I don't know, he did an interview with um, uh, Rick Priestley. Yeah, wow. Games Workshop. Like, it's like, the holy legend. smokes. <laughs> like, how'd you manage that? And it was a really good interview. Really enjoyed it. And lo and behold, today, he, or well, a couple of days ago, maybe he put up an interview of Alan Michael Perry. Um, so, it was, yeah, so it was like wow. a one-hour one hour interview with them. It's like, wow, it was really, really good. So if you mm-hmm. haven't seen that and you're doing some hobby stuff, um, go on over to Battle Games in Middle Earth YouTube and check that out. It's really worth a watch. Um, you know, I guess nobody that's – everybody would listen to this as like a Lord of the Rings person. But, you know, if you're into historical stuff, uh, which I am also, um, it's it's really good for that because that that's kind of really their jam mm-hmm. right doing the, the historical stuff so well the nice thing is that yeah, harry cool. harry from um is actually a bbc journalist as his actual day job yeah you can tell you can tell because he's he's very used to interviewing so mm-hmm. he does that very well well that's the whole that's kind of the whole angle of the entmoot podcast that he does too it's it's basically almost entirely an interview kind of yeah. show that's true. Um, so it's it's very good. So I'd really mm-hmm. recommend it. Wow. So uh, lots of posting going on on the Facebook. Oh yeah. Lately, yeah. Um, and and you know we like everybody we tag our uh, new episodes up on a few Facebook uh, groups or whatever, and like our our own local one here. Uh, in Ontario, SB Joe, we posted up there, and it's one of the smaller ones that we posted on. But we got all like the people that we know really well, of course, post on there. Did you see? Did you see any of the replies on there at all? Uh, I, I did see. I did see the fact that Ben's wife thinks that we're really nice people with really sweet voices. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna. <laughs> that's the one I was gonna talk about. I got a kick out of that. I got a good chuckle like, on that one. So he commented on it, really enjoyed it, looking forward to episode four. And he, he says, I was listening to the podcast in my living room last night and Katie, his wife, said, those two guys are really sweet and sound like really nice people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like Katie Boomer, now our number one favorite listener. Number one, that's right. <laughs> uh, did, did, you, did you read Garrett's post? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he he's he like he posted on um like I we mentioned the fact that the one time I conceded a game it cost him a tournament so he he was commenting on that and then he brought up another old wound which was uh I think it was a 40k thing about you I forget exactly what it was Oh gosh What was he talking about Oh he was talking about table talk and you shouldn't go over to someone else's table and uh um, talk to them about the game or about what they should and shouldn't do because, I mean, the social contract is about two individuals playing a game um, against each other and outside help is absolutely like huge taboo. So in my extremely younger years, I may have inadvertently mentioned <laughs> offhand uh, the win conditions and Garrett's less astute opponent goes, oh, those are the win conditions. And then he proceeds to win. And Garrett just gives me this cold look saying, I had it in the bag. And then I lost. 
Okay, so you you scuttle the you scuttle the game. I scuttle them. Yes. Well, see, <laughs> this is why when people say, "How do you know about the social contract so well?" It's because we've done all the faux pas as well as all the as well as all the good things. <laughs> so we have learned from experience on both sides, and we're happy to pass on that wisdom. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things that I think we're going to talk about in a couple of couple uh, couple of episodes is the. Uh, the boo boo stink face, as we call it, oh, yes. and uh, and that's basically like kind of like being a bad sport, I guess. When you when you get the nasty frown on and and whatever, and uh, <laughs> you know, over the years, we had like you know, when Drew talks about his younger years, he was real bad with that, real oh, bad, yes. and and we actually had to really take him to school on how to behave and and not be like that like you can feel like that all you want but you you gotta you know you gotta put on your happy face man you can't be putting on the boo-boo stink face it's not well, good oh yeah well we'll explain the boo-boo stink face several episodes from now when it comes up but yeah. uh i recall in humor there was a game that you and i played uh and i think you must have pulled the boo-boo stink face out in, in, in jest, I think, probably seven times that game, and I did the same, where we made the old, the, the old, yep, I've lost, it's game over, just going to quit now. Yeah. Then, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the one thing, too, we didn't talk about in the social contract stuff was that, yeah, when you're playing your buddies, there's no social contract. It really isn't. <laughs> it's the, the social contract's out the window when you're, when you're playing your buddies. And when we, when we play, it's, it's all boo-boo stink face, and it's all like, I've lost. This is over. Yeah, I've right? lost. <laughs> so, so I will say this. If people have watched me play Garrett... Uh, you will not watch a more tense game in your lives where two people bicker like old old fuddy duddies, and you'll be like, "Who is this person who like espouses uh, the social contract?" Uh, with Garrett, it does not apply whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh my god, on that topic too, and getting away from Lord of the Rings for a second, there is there is a board game called Chinatown. Oh God, don't bring that <laughs> Okay, up. it's an amazing <laughs> it's an amazing board game. It's stupid. If you if if you've never played it, you gotta you gotta get it. It's really good. But basically, everybody's played Monopoly, and in Monopoly, you like can trade properties for money or trade you know whatever. Um, so it's an entire game built on that concept get these two guys to play it Garrett and Drew who grew up together oh my god it is a nightmare it you're, is you're, a nightmare of when, arguing when you try to sell an accountant on a deal where he is losing money yeah. you can't because I look at the numbers I look at the statistics and I'm like your offer makes no sense. For example, I'm giving you one property. I'm giving you three properties and you're giving me one in return. Are you serious right now? Get out of here with this. No. And it was just like all the time. But anyways, oh, let's, let's move into something more positive. <laughs> <Move into something. laughs> um, another thing I watched today on YouTube, and we talked last time about the fact that our uh, painting contest had come to an end. Um, and we mentioned the winners and the photos and, and so on. Well, I noticed that uh, Alistair, you know Alistair. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he has, he has a YouTube channel now. Uh-huh. 
um, new new channel. I think it's been up for five or six months. He's got like maybe half a dozen videos on there, uh, and it's called Anders Talks Hobbies. A N D U R Z Talks Hobbies, and he did a video of him painting his Aylmer model for our contest. Ooh. And it is a really good video and definitely when I get my model out to paint, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that video up if ever I do. Yeah. And and go through because he gives all the colors and stuff that he used. Oh, it's really good. I so will go give that a watch. Anders Talks watch. Hobbies. Anders Talks yeah. Hobbies. Okay, cool. Um well I guess that's about it for the chit chatty part other than um I think we were going to just mention briefly something about the Fantasy Fellowship. Oh, right. That's right. So Damien O'Byrne, from over from the GBHL, has uh, tasked us with coming up with our own Fantasy Fellowships, taking our own sort of spin on it, i.e. Dawn would create a narrative, fluffy, wonderful Fantasy Fellowship which would fail at delivering the ring to Mount Doom. And I would bring the most competitive, nasty fellowship that not only would drop the ring into the lava of Mount Doom, but then come over and then whoop Mordor Army's butt on its way out the Black Gate. Uh, and so we have taken that to heart, and that is going to be in a future episode. And we're very much looking forward to doing it. And uh, Chris and Garrett are also going to be throwing in their own versions of the Fantasy Fellowship. Yeah, it could be good for just a just a chat yeah. about that. But I, I think I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go with Gohir and a couple of eagles there. Here's the ring. Fly to Mount Doom. <laughs> done. <laughs> what Tolkien should have done. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, you say that, but I'm just like, okay, i got to remove that idea from my list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are we ready to move on to the main topic? I think so, okay. All right. All right, so we're here for the main segment, and this one is called Getting Ready to Win. And so Drew's writing all of these uh, cool ideas, and so we've we've got a few on uh, the mental game, I guess. Uh -huh. So this is the first one of those. So uh, get us going on this, Drew. What's right. this all about? All right, I'll just quickly say the reason why Don intros everything is because I'm terrible at introing. This was uh, take five, take four from me, take one from Don. Uh, so when we're talking about, so we've already talked about the social contract, we're talking about sort of the etiquettes of gaming and whatnot, but we haven't really talked about, you know, playing the game and the, and the psychological component to it. Because for every player stepping into a game of MESBG, their greatest opponent is not the person across from them but the person within, i.e. your mind. And your mind, by your extension, your mindset is your belief in your ability to succeed, or, you know, from gaming terms, to win. And throughout the course of the game, your mindset or your mind is going to change. You're going to experience the highs of victory and the lows of an impending defeat. And, and how you navigate these highs and lows and how you prepare for it ahead of time is what sets good players apart from the great ones. Uh, 
And the mental game starts long before an event or even a pickup game ever occurs. You know, from the old, the old adage from pretty much most any sporting event, uh, practice makes perfect. And so it's no different for players of MESPG. Okay, let me let me jump in. So obviously okay. this is this is very uh, much from the competitive mindset. And yes. In fact, in fact, like preparing to win at a tournament, really, isn't yes. it? Um, so you know, I've read through all of this already. Really good stuff. Um, but like, I come at this from a totally different direction than than what you do. Uh, so as we go through, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump in and try to derail you as much as possible. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to kind of give a, like probably a little bit of a different perspective on it. Um, just, to, just to keep you on your toes, you know? Okay, perfect. All right. So getting ready to win starts with the pregame and this can be a month, two months, a couple of weeks before an actual tournament itself, or in some extreme cases could be a year before the tournament itself. And you need to prepare yourself for the constant mental, sprain, uh, mental strain that occurs throughout an event. Uh, and one needs to prepare their mind well in advance. And to do that, you're going to need to fine tune it with the following. And there's a couple of pointers here I want to make. And that is you want to align your focus with your desired outcome. And this is something I've noticed that players, both friends and adversaries over the years, have sort of um, have a bit of a discrepancy on. And when I say this, I'm talking about like prior to an event, you need to align your focus with the outcomes you wish to achieve. So do, are you looking to win best general, best painted, or to have fun? And, and you, I, you mentioned that like you could be getting ready for an event as long as like a year away because there's all the big events like of course Articon in the UK or over uh, in North America like Nova is probably the biggest one here and then locally for us we have um, either our uh, GT at the end of each season or TGX like these are all bigger tournaments and a lot of people like will build armies and display boards for that mm -hmm. um, and practice with their armies and so on Right, exactly. Uh, I know I, for myself, I've, I've sort of prepared for our big event TGX probably three or four months in advance, um, both in, in, in playing and visualizing and prepping an army that will actually do well. Uh, and, and, and it's been quite successful. Uh, but in terms of aligning your focus with your desired outcome, if your goal is to have fun, then fun should be the focus of you playing these games at this tournament. Right, And you have to acknowledge that you may lose one or all of your games, but ultimately the goal, that's not your goal, it's not, winning isn't the plan, it's socializing, enjoying the games regardless of outcome, and having fun. But, and this is where, when I talk about that discrepancy earlier, if you start to get upset that you're losing, but your focus is on fun, then your desire and your mental state are at odds with one another. And this divergence is going to create a lot of stress for yourself. And you need to have a hard look at what you desire from this event. If losing bothers you, then you should start looking at having a more competitive mindset than you believe. 
and you should look to building a winning strategy prior to an event. I see you smiling, so let me hear it. <laughs> uh, I, like I said, like I don't mind losing at an event, but like the only time I ever get like really pissy about losing a game is whenever I lose to like you or Garrett. Like if I go and play, <laughs> play against one of my buddies, and of course the gloves are off, right? Oh yes. And uh, so so those are the only games that that kind of like get me annoyed um to lose but other than that yeah no, mm -hmm. i get where you're coming from here and and i got a couple examples here like i've, I've seen players who like I'll, I'll give an example of myself i played in the second nova i played in i was playing on the second highest table in the final game um against what was his name i think it's rain uh really great guy strong opponent and I handicapped myself prior to this tournament even starting by bringing a list I knew wasn't as strong as it should have been. And, you know, as you're playing the games, you're realizing, you know, my goal is to be as competitive as possible. Why did I bring this list? And it really handicapped me throughout the tournament. And that was a prime example of where um, I was aligning my outcome with uh, that mental state, that preparation, the two were off. Uh, my mind was hyper competitive, but I brought a, a weak list that I knew wasn't going to perform. And then the other one is I see players who bring their hobby tournament, hobby armies, like for example, all Ents to one of our 100 point really competitive uh, tournaments. And then they go two and two, right? And then they get really frustrated. And I'm like, yeah, but you brought Ents, which are not a top table competitive army, to a tournament, and you expected to be on the top table, or you expected to win. And like, that's not gonna happen. The odds of that occurring are very low. And so when you have this divergence in mindset versus desire, you need to sort of take a step back and say, what do I really, really want when I go to these events? Well, that's where you have to also kind of look at the tournament pack and find out um, is is winning the tournament based 100% on your generalship. Um, and then if so, you know, you got to be prepared for the fact that, you know, bringing a fluffy army isn't going to help you win the tournament in any way. Uh, whereas some tournaments will give you some kind of points for 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 that, which will which will help you win. But yeah, that kind of stuff is, you know, that's generally kind of how I am um, taking sort of a, you know, a good army, but not a hyper competitive one. So usually you do very well game one and two, and then it starts to fall off games three and four. Cause like mm -hmm. the majority of our tournaments are one day four four game events. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I totally agree. And to win those one game four one day, four game events, you need to be going four and oh. And not only do you need to be going 4-0, but in many cases, you need to be scoring 10, 12 VPs a game to really sort of have it in the bag. And that is a specific type of army that can actually achieve that, which, you know, that's a much later discussion. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I kind of don't like in tournaments is uh, breaking of ties of tournament points because it does handicap certain armies, oh, i.e. Yeah. the ones I play. Um, <laughs> Dwarves. And, and that is, um, okay, victory points are tied. What's what's the secondary? And they go to victory. Um, like, sorry, tournament points are tied. What's the secondary? And a lot of tournaments will go to victory points. 
and it's like okay well you know like the armies that i play you don't get you don't win 12 and 0 with with kazadum no, generally no. let's say or even isengard um those aren't 12 armies no uh, anyway i'm i'm getting off topic so Man, i'll let well, you get back well i mean in terms of like you make a great point because I, I built an army for the last tgx that I was specifically going for really high point uh, wins. And it was a six game event, and out of, what is it, I think it's out of like 60 points or something like that, um, five, 50 or like 60 or 70 points, uh, I scored probably 90% of the total victory points you could get, specifically because mm-hmm. I built a smash list. Um, and so that, so that your mindset really needs to be honed in. Like if you want to be a top table player, better bring the smash lists or uh, you're going to be upset, you know, right at the very end. And so whatever those outcomes are, uh, whether it's to win, have fun, whatever it may be, you need to focus your mind on achieving that goal. And there's three very important concepts to this for the pregame. And the first of those is doing your homework. Oh, this is my worst thing. Oh, I know, because I have to tell you constantly before an event what the actual tournament pack is. And for me, um, I focus entirely on the competitive side of winning games. And to that extent, I plan and prepare in advance to ensure I'll maximize my chances of winning. And that means reading the tournament pack and understanding the requirements of it, points, special requirements. Uh, And then I take it several steps further. I then think of who is running the event. I think of the train I would normally see for this particular TO, historically speaking. I keep looking at um, the event page to see who's bringing terrain and then who's also signed up for the event because um, that will start to formulate the meta uh, for this particular uh, tournament and whether missions have been determined in advance or are randomized. So all yeah, that's of where these you, factors. You, you get the Facebook chatter when the tournament's coming up and you and, and you see, oh, this person's coming. Hey, yeah, uh, what are you bringing? What are you bringing? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so if you, if you, you never want to reveal your list ahead of time, but generally speaking, if you're playing the same list or you're playing the same styles of lists, your opponents know, or you, if you're preparing for this event, are going to know what you're expecting to see. Uh, you know, to give you an example, if uh, I sort of have this running example throughout to sort of help guide um, or resolidify the, the, the thoughts that are going through uh, my head on this topic, and that's if it's a 600-point event with a TO who runs heavy terrain on their boards, which isn't unsurprising in some cases, with a meta that focuses on shooting spam. Knowing that I'm going to run a more shield wall style list, so the D7, D8, with some outflanking elements and some form of shooting protection, i.e. blinding light. And this style of list is going to work really well in a heavy terrain tournament because it's going to impede your fast style lists, your Rohan lists, your uh, Rivendell Knight lists, and allow you to use elements of your shield wall to block up gaps in the terrain because remember, this is a heavy terrain event. And those flanking units can sneak around, use that line of sight blocking terrain, and attack from unexpected angles. And your main shield wall is protected by the blinding light, so it can allow me to mitigate those early game casualties. Yeah, that's one. It's always one really good way if you're playing against a heavy cavalry army is like if you can, if you can anchor a line between two big pieces of terrain and, and just like and just divide up the board. 
yep. and force them to go around. Um, anyway, let me let me make a couple of comments here. Sure. Um, so just reading the document and hearing you talk about it, it's it's kind of like a, you you take a very linear sort of approach to um, this this topic. I think um, yeah, I totally get like your your viewpoint on it and uh, you know respect it. Um, but I would like to comment that like from my point of view, is like this is a very goal oriented way of of looking at something like this. Mm -hmm. Like you you're looking at it well in advance and saying, okay, this is this is what my goal is. How can I achieve my my goal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's because you're looking as a competitive guy, you're looking at winning something, whatever it was, like you're, you're talking about winning games. Yeah. You know, other people could take the same approach from, you know, winning the painting award or, oh, yeah. you know, or, uh, you know, the best display board or, or whatever, whatever award mm -hmm. was. Uh, uh, and you know what, it's a tournament. So, you know, you probably should, to some extent, take, take an approach like this. Um, you know, but like when I go to an event, I, like I, I don't come at it at all from sort of a goal-oriented perspective, I guess, or an angle. Um, for me, like any event, whether whether it be like a you know a, a really small event, like a garage event, or or going to a big a big tournament, it's for me, it's all about immersion. Like mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. all about just participating in the event. Like you said, you know, if your goal is to have fun, well, that's always, should be always everybody's goal in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But like, like for me, it's about immersion. It's about socializing. Um, it's about the competing and the winning and the losing, but it's, it's to me, it's more about like laughing, rolling dice and, you know, checking out the awesome armies and, and just being there, you mm -hmm. know, like I do because I respect the fact that people, people are running a tournament it's a tournament so um the idea is to try to win so uh, mm -hmm. that's why i always say i do always try to win even if like winning isn't my focus um but like that's why even though like i've done some youtube stuff and now we're doing like some audio stuff like i would never bring a camera or a microphone to an event to mm -hmm. like video or talk to people because it would ruin the immersion of the event for me mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want to do that because the reason I'm going to the event is to experience everything yeah. there and enjoy it but anyway I just wanted to jump in there with that <laughs> you know uh, you bring up a great point uh, to me the immersion is important too um, and I, I love meeting my uh, my NESBG OSBGL friends uh, acronyms abound and having a great time with them going out to lunch asking them how their lives are you know what's with the kids talking about after action games that kind of thing and interestingly enough I guess this is an odd quirk of mine uh, I'm sort of most invested in it at the game level so that when the event is over if I win huzzah I won I got it and then very quickly after that, that sort of like that feeling of riding high kind of dissipates for me. And, and the act of like winning the event is cool. Um, but again, for me, it's the the journey is more important than the destination. You know what I mean? And again, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So the games are one element of it. Hanging out with friends is another element of it. But as you're driving home or as you're heading home, uh, that that feeling is dissipating and, and it's a, a feeling of totality of both the games and the, the social side. The second concept is visualization. 
And uh, as a competitive gamer, I learned this quickly through through daydreaming and taking the concepts of daydreaming and uh, analytics from uh, being an accountant and sort of finding ways to make visualization uh, an effective tool to learn and improve with. And I find it from my own self, it's almost as important as practice. And there was a case study I remember reading about, uh, talked about like shooting baskets uh, for basketball. And there's four case, four groups, right? There's your baseline group that shot baskets once, shot hoops once, and then never shot again. And then there's three more groups after that. So there was the, the there was a group that uh, shot hoops and then I was asked to visualize about shooting hoops uh, for an hour a day and then after a month would come back and they would shoot again. And the second group is, or I guess the third group if you would, is the ones that um, shot their hoops uh, and then was asked to practice for an hour uh, every day shooting baskets and then uh, after a month they'd come back and they'd shoot some again. And the fourth group was asked to do an hour of visualization and an hour of practice every day, and then they come back and shoot um, their uh, their baskets mm-hmm. for this test. And so, interestingly enough, the the end result was that the group that just visualized performed marginally better than the group that did nothing at all. Okay, and the one that significantly did better than that that control group, if you would was the one who visualized and practiced. And it really starts to drive home this, this very important thing that if you do nothing, let's say you've got a busy life and you see your tournament as four games and you have a whole bunch of fun doing it, if you do nothing else, visualize, because it will provide you at least some kind of marginal benefit. But if you're gonna, sorry, go ahead. It's funny because when our league is operating under normal circumstances and I generally go to almost every league tournament which is let's say one a month so mm-hmm. 12 a year you know I may miss one or two or whatever but generally I play once a month because like I don't generally play outside tournaments so like almost all of my gaming is tournaments so I'll play say four games a month and they will all be at tournaments so there is no practicing in between so if i wanted to try to get better like the easiest way for me to do it would be to visualize ahead of time start visualizing uh this is something i do a lot because i'm also in your your situation more often than not i have uh, got an incredibly busy uh, work schedule and generally speaking i only can get in those four games at the tournament and if I'm going to play at a really big event like a Nova, like a TGX, like an Articon, I will absolutely practice ahead of time. Like that's the, the you know, I sense butts. The other point I wanted to make about visualization is if you're going to practice, visualize as well. Uh, and the reason is you're gonna be visualizing your strategies and then you're gonna put them into action through practice to see if those, those visualized strategies actually work. And so, when you, you're gonna start visualizing after you complete your homework, and right, like that's, you've you completed the first stage, you've sort of gone through the tournament pack, you've figured out kind of the ideal starting point of what your army could be that you take to the event. 
And then the next is you want to start visualizing. And again, you know, to Don's point, he made a great comment in that this is very goal oriented. And the next part about visualizing is is very tiered, very hot top down. And that's one you want to start visualizing that you're winning the tournament. And when you start visualizing that I'm going to win this tournament, I'm going to win this tournament, I'm going to take this army and I'm going to win this tournament. When you start saying that to yourself, you start building your confidence. And you need that that overflowing level of confidence, not arrogance, big difference, but that overflowing level of confidence as you go into the event, because it's kind of like your reservoir of mental strength as you're going in. And you're gonna wanna, at the next level, visualize that army that you've built through the homework section and then you're gonna visualize the tactics and the strategies that you're gonna employ against the type of armies that you expect to see. Again, this idea of figuring out what the meta is and then visualizing how your army is gonna beat that meta. And essentially it all kind of comes down to you're conducting scenario result analysis in your brain. And you're playing out the various scenarios, your strategies and whatnot, and seeing how they'll work. Like that's one thing right now for me is that because like i don't know when they came out what when they put out that new army pack or generals pack or whatever it was with the 18 missions um or did that come in the new book i forget no that was like i find now that was it there's like a lot of a lot of the missions now i'm i'm a lot less familiar with them and i haven't actually just sat down and read through them and and for me like i can't read through something once and remember it (laughs) i literally have to read it like half a dozen times to to remember it so yeah there is a gap for me right now there and it's 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 knowing the scenarios knowledge of the scenarios knowledge of all that's really key as well Um, i guess that's part of my homework then that's part of your homework so to sort of pull the idea of visualization together, I want to take back that example I, I talked about earlier, and that's the that 600 point event. And I'm visualizing my army will will plug gaps in terrain with my shield wall, with the anti-shooting protection, and I'm going to be limiting my opponent's board control again with that heavy uh, terrain on those boards. And the issue is, uh, a fast army can um, sort of get to those gaps before I can and sort of push through, sort of nullifying my advantage. And after visualizing that flaw in my army, I'll realize I need to add heroes that can use heroic march or drums if I play an evil army. Alternatively, uh, as a new strategy I've sort of sort of come up with, I can use my mobile outflanking pieces to plug those gaps and die and use that time to move my shield wall into position. And again, it's mm-hmm. that idea of taking your army that you're gonna use, visualizing it on the type of meta and the terrain, and then uh, to Don's point about the missions, uh, if you don't know the missions that are gonna be used, you have to start using the visualization strategies with every single mission in the mission pack. And a good event is one that won't tell you what the missions are. Yeah, I know like when there were a lot fewer missions, or especially if the mission pack shows you what the missions are like when i play a game like i'll be right in the throes of the game and we'll be like two-thirds of the way through the game and mm-hmm. i will have completely forgotten what the objectives are like that give victory points in the mission. <laughs> so it's like if i know what the missions are ahead of time um that's that's best case um but otherwise like what i do sometimes is like i'll write some like 
cheat notes basically um, and, and just write them on the back of my army list or or in my notebook um, for each mission and just bullet points on like what the objectives are so that I don't have to like scroll through like a document to try to find you know how many yep. points I get for like killing a certain model or whatever um, because in me, in, for me in the game, like I've said before, there's, there's just too much going on for, for my mind to grapple with all mm -hmm. of it. Like I just, I need a quick reference yeah. basically. Well, yeah. Um, I've done that myself as well. You know, if you've got your, um, your, your cheat sheet for your army, especially if you haven't practiced it enough, uh, which I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this more often than not. And, you know, you, you sort of go back to, to figuring out what does this character do? What does that character do? And I don't know how many times I've realized, oh, gosh, this character had heroic defense. I could have used that. And so having these, the cheat sheet saying, these are my characters. That's what the heroic actions are. These are the missions. This is my basic opening gambit. And we'll go from there. And just doing like a 10-second review before a game can be a big deal. Uh, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're getting into the game. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to caution this though, the final point of visualization. Visualization is not daydreaming, okay? You're focusing on your army and its tactics and your strategies, but you're being realistic with what it can do. Uh, visualizing Faramir killing the Balrog on his own to secure you a victory over a Moria army is not visualizing, it's daydreaming. And I know I've caught myself doing this from time to time. Uh, it happens to the best of us. For example, I once visualized Shelob performing far better than she did, and I used those tactics to my detriment in a local event. And I lost two games by overextending Shelob because I visualized that she could do it. And that losing those two games lost me that event, which in turn lost me the league for that year. Like I think uh, one of the things that I'll just give an example is is in, in the previous edition of the game where we saw ring race all the time. Um, one of one of the things that, you know, I learned in the game was, OK, every game, somebody's compelling one of my heroes and then killing them. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was happening all the time. So I would before the game, I would start re trying to make myself remember that when I see that is about to happen, I have to block, block my own so that they can't compel him forward to kill him. Yeah. Just just as a quick example. No, I totally agree. But um, let me jump in with an example of how strong visualization can be. And it's not MESPG. And, and honestly, I, I don't really do a lot of visualizing with, with this game. Um, but I think I mentioned before, I think that I, I play chess. I've played chess my whole life. Um, I'm more than a casual player. I'm a good chess player. I'm not a great chess player. Um, but this kind of thing, this kind of concept is really apparent. It's a, it, it's really a thing for, for chess players. Um, and in chess, there's, there's a whole bunch of, um, what would you call them? They're not strategies, but they're, uh, their moves, let's call them, or uh, situations that can develop on the board. Like, for example, for anyone that plays chess, it's like a discover check or like a fork or sacrificing a piece or, or pinning a piece. Like these, these are all uh, moves, let's call them. I don't know what to call them, but whatever. Um, 
And the, these all sort of describe sort of advantageous situations that you want to generate in, in a game because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to profit from it. And after you've played for a while, you can, you can kind of train your mind to look for these combinations to, and positions of pieces to appear on the board, um, or even like how to develop them to, um, come to fruition i guess mm -hmm. um so that when they come up in a game your your response to that it's it's mechanical it's automatic um like a lot of i don't know if you've seen like there's movies that show show chess games where players are um intently playing with with clocks like with chess, mm -hmm. chess clocks and they're moving their pieces very rapidly and hitting the clock as as quickly as they can and mm -hmm. it's it's because all of these moves that are being made are um they're mechanical moves they're mm -hmm. sort of automatic moves and so they they don't require the players to put a lot of thought behind them and so the players are trying to preserve their time on the clock by moving as quickly as possible and hitting mm -hmm. hitting the clock as quickly as possible so it's an example of of uh, visualization outside of sbg but it's it does it does apply to that as well but um do we have time for a little story that i could throw yeah, out here a little, little it, barney story oh barney story let's do it <laughs> <laughs> okay con continuing on the chess vein mm -hmm. okay so when like back in the day when i was in high school we're talking uh late 70s i guess um if you've ever seen dazed and confused that's the time yeah yeah, yeah pretty much that was <laughs> pretty much what i'm about to go into because back in those days um like i wasn't a good student okay uh, my grades were pretty crap honestly like maybe average at best like i was not good at anything academic at all um and you know quite often in those like math science and all that like i would struggle to pass basically mm -hmm. um you know i was i was good at other stuff like i was good really good at art and you know i took a lot of drafting because i could draw so i was good at that and doing you know phys ed i was reasonably good at that and history because like you know my dad always instilled a deep interest in history in me so i was good at that um but you know back back then like um it was the 70s and for me i was like basically a layabout and had long hair and dressed like a slob <laughs> and you know <laughs> like that made a lot of uh, questionable life decisions uh back, <laughs> back in that day but anyway uh, i was good at chess so i knew i was a good chess player I played a lot um and like back then i was a member of the chess federation of canada and like i was decent at the game i had an official chess rating um again not great but like pretty well good enough to beat any casual player in the game so anyway my high school had a chess team mm -hmm. okay so one year i think it was like probably one of our last years of high school me and my best buddy bill we decided you know let's go to the chess team because him and i would always play and like mm -hmm. i'd win one game he'd win the next game kind of thing and so thought, let's go out to the high school um sort of the tryouts i guess or whatever for the for the chess team so like we should show up to go to go out to the chess team like a couple of long-haired bums you know and like you walk into a room full of all these like clean-cut straight a student types um and they're all looking at like what the hell who the hell are you people 
<laughs> right. So, so we, we, I forget what it was, but we like, we had a tournament or like maybe a couple of days of playing or whatever. And we both made the team. And, uh, so I was second board. So like sort of the second best guy and Bill was third board. And, uh, we had this kid in, in our class in our team, I guess there, that was, um, he was, uh, had, had immigrated or from Russia and he was like really gifted at chess, like incredibly good player. Like he could easily, like I was the second best and he could slaughter me. No Mm. problem. Um, well, like he was so good at visualizing the game that he started playing all of the other people on the team without looking at the board. Wow. Like without once looking at the board and he beat every other person. And there's probably like about 10 people Mm. on the team and he beat every other person playing chess and chess. Like you can develop extremely complicated, um, situations on the board with all of the pieces and the different moves that can be made. And he beat every other player, like one at a time, um, like over the period of, you know, however long, a couple months or whatever, without ever looking at the board, because he had, he had done so much visualizing that he was able to retain all of that. And I eventually played him, I think after he played everybody else in the game. And it was one of the hardest games that I had ever played up until then and i managed to win the game but it was like a very outside the box game for Mm -hmm. me because i i wasn't playing in my normal way because i knew i was playing against somebody that had far superior visualization skills than what i have so all i was trying to do was trying to make the game as complicated as i could possibly make it (laughs) so that eventually he would forget where one of the pieces was and that's what eventually happened uh and i was able to take advantage of it and then just wear him down slowly wow yeah but anyway (laughs) it, it, it like it really relates to this because it is like a definite example where you can really practice visualization with a game like that or i imagine there's lots of other games that you can do it with too but anyway just a personal experience type thing no i like that i like that example it's very true the more you uh, you visualize um, before the game, the more you sort of scenario uh, plan or you, you scenario test your strategies uh, in a lot of different environments. And if you're like the, the key there is just to be realistic about it and about what you what you can do, and you'll start to notice things that your army isn't going to do well at, and you'll start to either tweak it or accept it for what it is and, and hope for the best that you don't have to deal with it. Yep. Okay. And so the third piece practice this is by and far the most important thing that you can do to uh, improve your gameplay and prepare yourself for an event and the reason for this is very quite simple actually it's reducing decision overload okay so your brain can handle finite amount of decisions in a given day once it hits that threshold your ability to concentrate on facts and come up with a plausible solution degrades and as a side that note, explains, this explains why I'm so tired at the end of the day when I come home from work. That's true. Some of the <laughs> some of the biggest CEOs, I'll give you an example, Bill Gates, um, he doesn't choose what he wears. 
Uh, when he was working at IBM, he never chose what he wore today or at a, any given day. He never chose what he ate. It was all provided for him. He never drove to work. So he was trying his best to minimize the number of decisions he had to make with things that were just sort of presented to him or given to him. Just mundane things. Mundane things that allowed him to use his mental energy on running a multi-billion dollar empire. Okay. So that's sort of a side note. It is common to see top table players at the end of a long day, three or four games, or at the end of an event, and they struggle to form thoughts or are sluggish to respond to you. And that's because their brains are working on overdrive to come up with strategies and counter strategies throughout their games. Because as they ascend um, to the top table more frequently, they have to really put their brains through uh, a lot of rigor to outthink their opponent and uh, get those wins. Uh, and so it's not surprising when you start talking to them that they're just like, I'm just going to go to bed immediately because they're just utterly <laughs> drained. Yeah, for me, it's mostly by that time, it's like my back is killing me. <laughs> I need to sit down somewhere. So he needs to practice on standing up. Got it. <laughs> and so your threshold is hit even quicker when you encounter stress or a lack of sleep because stress produces cortisol, which clouds your better judgment. And it does this because you're entering the, the fight or flight scenario where complex thoughts are banished and your brain focuses on what it must immediately do to survive. Uh, and when you're playing a game, that's essentially you start tunnel visioning on like what's the most critical issue right now to stop you from losing. And you end up forgetting or missing all these other things around you. And it's the other things which cause you to lose. Well, I guess if you're like going through all of this and you're so focused on on winning the game and coming up with strategies and all of that it, that that can that can create a stressful situation oh yeah it's a very stressful situation um like for example when i played against steve in the last event in march i had what i would think was an inferior army to him and I had this idea that I was just going to rush him, take some casualties from his shooting, and then get into combat and then hope for the best. The reality is, based on the, the game, I should have played a lot more cagey because I had more mobile shooting and try to play a game of like chicken with him um, to say like, hey, if you don't come at me, we're going to tie and you're not going to win the event kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And because my stress level was high in, on, the, on the fourth game, and I've never sort of encountered that situation because, again, I brought that um, inferior kind of army, I just didn't have the energy, mental energy left to make a proper decision, and I made a mistake, and it cost me. And that was a mistake made right at the beginning of the game. Cracked under the pressure. It did. It happens to us all. And so by getting lots of practice in with your army, you're able to see which situations it works in, and what decisions work best. And then when you're presented with a similar situation in the tournament, your mind automatically knows what to do and it doesn't need to make a decision. And furthermore, you'll not experience stress in those situations because you feel confident in your course of action. That's one of the reasons why like, I play a, a couple of armies. Like, Although I have a lot of different armies, I, I tend to play um, two or three armies mm -hmm. a lot more frequently and it's because of that reason that you just said it's and it's basically because I'm the most practiced with that, that those armies so that yeah. when search, certain situations happen in the game I automatically know what to do exactly and, yeah I mean for, 
For me, for the latter half of last edition, I was exceptional with my ring rates on Fell Beasts because I just focused on just playing one army. And that's all I played. And so every 80-point event, every 100-point event, I played the same army, different model selections sometimes. But because I was just playing that one army over and over and over again, um, I was so focused and so well-practiced with that army, I rarely came into a situation where I struggled. And so this, this to bring back the idea of visualization and sort of wrap this all together, visualization helps you plot out the best course of action. And then a practicing those, those strategies lets you see if there's any merit to it. Um, and that's really when it comes down to this idea that you're theory crafting, right? So visualization is theory crafting in a way. Uh, and something may look good on paper. Some those strategies may look good on paper when, when you actually implement them in a game, it just doesn't work. Um, and that combination of the visualization plus practice is critical to effective preparation prior to an event. And it's also like the best way, hands down, well above any other uh, method to learn and grow within an army. Right on. Yeah, well, I was going to mention that, um, you know, you know, our number one favorite listener, Katie Boomer. Yeah. You know, she's married to this guy, Ben Boomer. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. And and Ben, like other than you, he's the only other guy that's that's won our league mm -hmm. for, I think, two years. Um, always a very tough player, always really competitive, always up at the top. Uh, probably has an incredibly good win-loss ratio. And that's what it is for him, is that he is like incredibly well-practiced with the mm -hmm. armies that he plays. Oh, yeah. Because ever since we've known him, um, like when it started out, he, he started out playing a lot of Arnor. And, mm -hmm. But of course, Arnor... Um, got the royal shaft basically in the MESBG edition but anyway um he's he's sort of gravitated over to um primarily a Minas Tirith army mm -hmm. and he plays it all of the time yeah so he's so well practiced with it that he doesn't have to think hard about what to do in in situations because he's seen all of the situations before. He's played all the missions with this army before. He's played all the different armies with this army before. So he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I just want to throw that out there as as an example of of somebody that that we know that that is doing this. Maybe inadvertently, maybe not. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think I think a lot of the top table players understand that practice is critical and sometimes just you could build a an army at the beginning of the year and you might say to yourself i'm just going to play this army for the entirety of the league year and probably within about one or two tournaments of it i'm going to be good at it two more tournaments after that i'm going to be great at it two more tournaments after that i'm going to be perfect with it so by the time the year ends you are so flawless with this army that you're going to just you, you'll be a, a, a terror on the tables Right on. So is that it for the uh, getting ready to win? That's it for getting ready to win. So now right. you are ready to win. All right. So we're here for 
all that is gold does not glitter and basically we're not going to do this segment this week um what we're going to do is we're going to repeat the question from last week we do already have two answers but we want a couple more answers Uh um the question is what is your favorite model in the middle earth strategy battle game range and don't say smog because it's just like you know he's a model unto himself basically (laughs) Um, so next episode uh, Drew will not be here so it'll be Chris and I so Chris and I will will discuss this so that's it for uh, all that is gold does not glitter send in your answers and Drew what is our email address it is north of the shire podcast one at gmail.com and that's the number one the number one is correct Alrighty, and we are on to our last segment, which is what have I got in my pocket? I love this segment because you never know what kind of question you're going to get. I know. It was like, so far you've asked me, who would I most like to have lunch with? And where would I most like to live in Middle Earth? So I'm expecting something like, what is my favorite food of Middle Earth? You know, (laughs) I do like to ask you more book or lore related questions because I know that's sort of your vein. I don't want to be asking you those like ridiculous competitive questions because you're just like... I don't know. I don't. Yeah, that's your answer. That's a boring answer. That's the questions you ask me. So my question actually to you is this, and I kind of know the answer, but I'm curious. If Tom Bombadil walked up to you one day and said, hold on, would you like to live in Middle Earth? And if so, what race would you like to be and why? And I can magically make that happen. Yeah, that's a weird question. Um, well, because hmm. you're a human being right now, but you now have the option of so many different races of Middle Earth, and you have this option to, to, to live there as one of those races. Um, Don't pick human, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, for the, you know, just for the nature of the question, I think I would go outside of being human. Um, I would probably not be one of the evil races uh, for somewhat obvious reasons. Um, even though I'm really kind of all about the dwarves, I really am, would not be keen on like living underground and doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably wouldn't go with, with them. Uh, Hobbit, of course, is a good choice. You got, you know, second breakfast after all you know you can't go wrong with second breakfast um even though i kind of uh am not a big fan of elves i would probably have to say it would be an elf yeah just because you got the whole long life kind of thing happening um you know they tend to live in idyllic type surroundings a lot of forest kind of stuff going on and i'm into that so 
Um, that would be good. So I think I would go Elf. Um, Hobbit probably being a fairly close second. I, I thought you might say that just because, you know, you, you did you did love the Hobbitons. So, you know, there's the Hobbits and they don't really have many cares in the world. And I, But I was curious to see if you dip into the Elf and, you know. Uh, you also don't forget that supernaturally ridiculous body, you know, because apparently you can walk on air or rocks. <laughs> like, like, let's go. Walk on the top of snow. And... See? and you don't feel temperature extremes. You just walk around in the blizzard. You're like, hey, man, I'm all good. <laughs> you can go for like days without sleep, apparently. That's yeah. Like, yeah what's see? wrong with that? Yeah, what's wrong with that? Where's the downside? I don't see? know. It's not a weird question. Get out of here with this guy. <laughs> 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 all right. Give me your question. Okay, my question is easy. Okay, so this is about Lord of the Rings, and the question is basically yes or no. So it is, will you or will you not accept the following challenge? Oh, God. That is the question. And the challenge is, between now and episode six, for you either three warrior models or one hero model complete like you don't have to touch them again with another brush oh wow so you're not going to be in the next episode you you got to skip a whole episode you know i am sort of recovering and i wear glasses and it's a nose surgery so i won't be able to wear the glasses for a couple of days uh you know you you can get the models ready so can i already use my tester model as one of those three models damn it Oh man! You know what? I gotta paint the models anyways. So yes, a challenge accepted. I will do three warrior models, and I will paint them to the same standard that my tester model is painted to. Now we're talking painting. I'm not talking basing. I'm, I no, don't do basing. No, I said basing. No, basing is part of it. I, I can't do basing on these models until it's all done. Okay, I'm doing all my basing all together. Come on, give me that one. How about this? Four warrior models. If there's no basing. Okay. All right. Deal. Done. Four warrior models. All right, four warrior models. So there's no they, At least make them four different uh, poses. I don't even think there's like three poses <laughs> for rangers. <laughs> no, there's more than that. I don't think so. There is. There is. Okay, I know so, the models. So then four ranger models, fully painted, never have to touch them again with a brush stroke. All right. Sounds good. And I already have written up more questions for, you know, last week I got caught. I like forgot my question. I had to come up with on the top of my head. I have a list of questions made up now. Uh, if, I, I ever, if I ever get stuck again, I got a question. I've got like the question of question lined up, but I'll save that for days when, uh, you know, I want to st- I want to get you in a long winded uh, diatribe about life and lo- Tokyo. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, sir. So we'll have to keep that episode short, otherwise. Then <laughs> pretty much <laughs> main segment five minutes long. Okay, done. Go. Okay. All right. So um, that's it for uh, what have I got in my pocket? So did you have any final parting thoughts? Final parting words for this particular episode? All right. So I'm going to read a small bit from the chapter a journey in the dark and it sort of goes towards what you were talking about earlier it's where you know fatigue can affect your your decision making process it was after nightfall when they had entered the mines 
They had been going on for several hours with only brief halts when Gandalf came to his first serious check. Before him stood a wide, dark arch opening into three passages, all led in the same general direction, eastwards. But the left hand plunged down, while the right hand climbed up, and the middle way seemed to run on, smooth and level but very narrow. I have no memory of this place at all, said Gandalf, standing uncertainly under the arch. He held up his staff in the hope of finding some marks or inscription that might help his choice, but nothing of the kind was to be seen. I am too weary to decide, he said, shaking his head. And the main segment for today is going to be getting ready to win. And it's kind of our three-part... Hold up. We're going to pause this right now. This You don't have to stop recording. All right. And here we are in the main segment of today's game, which is going to be... Or which is ready to win. And this is going to already be... already failed. We've got to back it up. It's oh. not ready to win. It's getting ready to win. Oh, you're killing me here, Smalls. All right, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.